Well, our sermon text today is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. As I mentioned before, I wasn't here last week. And so uh, last week I had planned on covering this passage and ended up having to bump it to this week, of course. You might recall that, that two weeks ago we looked at this uh, second part of Galatians 5, uh, which covered the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And I felt like as we covered that, we just had to kind of sprint through the fruit of the Spirit too fast. So I wanted to kind of take a little bit of time and, and really sink into what exactly the Lord has for us in these two verses that talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So before we take a look at it now, would you just join me and ask God's blessing upon our time in his word? Heavenly Father, we turn to you and to your word now because we know that it is in your word that we see your will. We have nowhere else we can turn. As Peter has said, Lord, to whom shall we turn? You have the words of eternal life. Speak them to us now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now, Galatians 5. 22 and 23, this is the inspired word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. <clears throat> when I was a child, maybe four or five, six years old, we had a cherry tree in the backyard of the house in which I lived. And you know what that cherry tree did year after year after year? It produced cherries. Never once did spring arrive and we went outside and saw that it had upon it apples or pears or some other fruit. It was always cherries. Imagine that. Well, it makes sense, of course. You say, Pete, come on. It's a cherry tree. That's what a cherry tree produces. And that would be absolutely right. Trees produce fruit that are following their kind, right? They, they produce a specific type of fruit in keeping with their character. And so it is with the Spirit of God. This passage tells us how the Spirit of God, like a fruit tree, produces certain fruit that is in keeping with its character. Remember the context of this passage by going back a couple weeks ago. The Apostle Paul has gone into this description of the fruit of the Spirit, but he does so having just described the, the deeds of the flesh. And, and so the contrast that he is making here is not so much just 
the contrast between the material and the spiritual, but rather the the difference between our fallenness and our, our brokenness and our sinfulness as human beings apart from him and the reality of our new hearts and our new minds and our new lives in Christ Jesus our Lord. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. And the new has come. I just want to say this, first of all, we need to remember as we go through this passage that it's, it's not a matter of being uh, immediately perfected. We will, to varying degrees at varying times, see the Spirit's fruit produced in us. It's not a matter of saying, okay, you have to reach this level And at that level, you have reached spirituality, right? That's not what it's saying. But rather, the idea is that uh, it's not a a performance-based thing where we have to reach a level, but, but rather we should be seeing the Spirit more and more leading us and directing us so that this type of fruit is being produced in us. If we are willfully, unrepentantly, clinging to our sin, it is evidence that we are walking in the flesh and not walking in the Spirit. But for those who belong to Christ, whose Spirit indwells them, they should be able to say with Paul to greater and greater and greater degree what he says earlier in Galatians 2. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Once again, this this list is not an exhaustive list either. It's it's not everything that the Spirit produces in our life. And and it's not a matter of it always producing these things in life. But it's important that we understand that it's not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It's not an a la carte thing. Right, where you say, well, I'll take a little bit of this one and a little bit of this one and neglect the others. Rather, this is the fruit that is produced by the Spirit, and it has all these different aspects. As one commentator put it, these virtues are not nine different gems, but nine different facets of the same dazzling jewel. And we should see these things produced in us by the Spirit of God. The reason the Spirit produces these things is that these things tell us about the character of God as manifested in the person of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's just like Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. We are interwoven with him, connected to him so that out of the nutrients that he provides us, we will grow. And so, as the Spirit binds us together, united to Christ, we see the Spirit's fruit produced in us first in this one aspect. Love. Did you see the commercial during the Super Bowl that uh, by New York Life 
They had a commercial during the Super Bowl. It's been run sometimes since then, I think, in a more condensed version. Uh, but, but when I saw it, it was very apparent to me that, that whoever is writing the commercials for New York Life had clearly read C.S. Lewis. Okay, because as it talked in this commercial about love, it spoke of how the ancient Greeks had four different words for loves. C.S. Lewis famously wrote a piece called The Four Loves, and he talked about these four different words, but in the New York Life commercial, they said this. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendships. Next, there's storge, the kind you have for a grandparent or a brother. Third, there's eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. And they go on to say, the fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It is called agape, love as an action. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. And this is precisely the kind of love that Paul is talking about here when he speaks of love as part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's love that's not just an emotion, right? We too often talk about the emotion of love. It's talking about love as an action. The kind of love that is talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It's not arrogant, not rude. It does not insist on its way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Notice there that it is an action word. It's not just a fluttering of the heart, butterflies in your stomach. No, this is a love that does things. And it does things for another. We're not talking about mere romanticism. Back in 1970, the Academy Award-winning film Love Story told us famously, love means never having to say you're sorry. And that is exactly wrong. <laughs> love means often having to say you're sorry. Every time you fail, willing to turn to another, admit your failing, and realizing that, that I am not perfect. <laughs> and, and it's not all about my happiness. And I need to come to you and tell you I am sorry. And not just say the words, but mean them. Right? Because, because there is truth behind them. That truth is being put to action. That is the kind of love that is being talked about here. It's not limiting myself to what I want, but rather seeking the well-being of another. In Ephesians 2, we're, or Ephesians 5, we're told, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What did Christ do out of love? He gave himself up for us. If we are to love, that means we must deny ourselves as well and give ourselves up as well. 
We need to put on love, which Paul tells us in Colossians, binds everything together in perfect harmony. It is the chief virtue by which the people of God are to be known. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Not by your perfect theology, not by all the Bible verses you've memorized, not by your church attendance or by the large gifts you've given to charity. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, because we love, because he first loved us. And so the question for us today is, do we love in that way? Do we love with a self-sacrificial love? Do we love in a way that costs us for the benefit of others? Because that's the way that Jesus has loved us. Do we love that way? If his spirit is dwelling in us and living through us, then we will. We will hurt for each other. We will rejoice with each other. We will serve one another. We will consider the needs of others above the needs of ourselves. Do we love with the love of Christ? Well, if we do, then... Another way that it's evidenced is through joy. That's the second thing he mentions, joy. It it needs to be remembered that the idea of of living in the Spirit is not just a matter of of gloomily going about our duties, right? It's It's not like trudging off to work and punching the clock and we have to go through this and endure this and and it's not a matter of, of having a life that is filled with hardship and difficulty and horribleness. And if we can just survive it to the end, then God will give us goodness at the end. And, and you know, we'll have paid the price. And then, then we get the happiness at the end. No. There is joy to be lived within the Christian life day by day as his spirit lives in us. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to be happy, happy, joy, joy, smile, smile all the time. But it means that even in the face of bad things, even as they are hammering against us, our lives might be buoyed up, might be supported by a Christian joy that is within us, realizing that we once were lost, but now are found. We were blind, but now we see. Realizing that that we were enemies with God, but he has shown us his love and made us his children. It doesn't always come naturally, does it? Sometimes we, we have to, just by the Spirit's power within us, and only by the Spirit's power, rest in him and trust in him. You know, just this last weekend, a week ago, um, before I got sick, I was at Presbytery. And while I was there, we had the pleasure of hearing from Andrew Brunson, who came and visited our, our Presbytery. And you'll recall that we spent a couple years here praying for uh, Andrew Brunson as he was being held in a, a Turkish prison for his faith. 
And uh, this fellow EPC pastor uh, came and spoke to us and shared with us about some of his time there. And, you know, and, and, and he said it would be, be wonderful, you know, to be able to told that while, while he was there those whole two years, if he could say, you know, my, my faith never flagged and I always trusted God and it was filled with joy and happiness all the time. But he said, but that wasn't the case. It was hard. You can imagine. There were times he thought he was going to die in this prison, that he would never see his loved ones again, that he was there until the day he died. And it was a hard life. He was so alone and so, so depressed. He said he finally decided that he needed to follow the command of the Lord. The Lord who tells us, blessed are you when people revile you and say all sorts of evil things about you. Rejoice and be glad. He said his heart didn't really feel like rejoicing. It didn't feel like it was glad. But he decided that every day he was going to commit five minutes to dancing. Dancing for joy to the Lord. And so there in his cell, he would dance to the Lord. And you know what he said? He said, I think this is a direct quote. He said, I did not feel happy at any point that I did that. But I did it out of obedience to the Lord. Right? He rejoiced in the Lord even though he didn't feel that. And the Spirit can do that with us. The Spirit will enable us to rejoice in the Lord even when things are hard, even when things are, are terrible. The Spirit enables us to rejoice in the Lord and it enables us, even in the midst of those things, to have peace. That's the next thing that Paul talks about, this being at peace, peace with terrible circumstances even. And even more importantly, to be at peace with God. Right? It's not... It's not our natural state to be at peace with God because we, we are sinners. We are enemies. And yet, he comes and brings peace to us. But it's not just the, the lack of hostilities that's talked about with peace, right? It's, it's things being the way that they ought to be. The things being the way that they should be when all was good and all was right. Things being set to right again. That's what God does is he makes things right once more. And so there is a, a tearing down of that dividing wall of hostility between, between God and man and also between us and others. And things are brought into alignment with how they should be. This does not mean there will be no turmoil, but it means that, that ultimately God is in the business of setting all things right. Jesus is the Prince of Peace of whom Isaiah foretold that he brings a peace, he says, which surpasses all understanding, that it might guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. When it says it, it's beyond all understanding or it surpasses all understanding, that means that, that you can't make sense of it. It means sometimes you'll be in a situation and, and reasonably speaking, rationally speaking, there, there's no reason at all you should be at peace. But through the Spirit, there is peace. God can do that. God does do that. 
as we trust in him. Beyond that, he calls us to be those who make peace with others. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. God will ultimately set things right. He will ultimately make perfect peace. But when we work to sow peace in the world, we are acting as sons of God because we look like him and we act like him and we do what he does. And we can only do that by the power of the Spirit dwelling within us, right? In this world, it's so easy to to be drawn into arguments. I like a good debate. I'll be honest with you. And, and on the internet especially, it's really easy to be drawn into debates, right? Because, because we don't even have to stand face-to-face with somebody to do it. And you know what? Not only do I like to be in debates, I like to win debates. Right? So, so if we're debating, you know, I've got to win. I've got to win. I've got to defeat you. I've got to beat you down. I've got to twist you around and throw you in the dirt and stomp on you in Christian love. Yeah, that's not Christian love, is it? Right? Rather, I should have a heart that's bent on making peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that's one of the reasons why it requires the next thing the Spirit produces. Patience. <laughs> patience. Our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And as Isaiah says, like a lamb who is silent, he was led to the slaughter. Boy, patience is hard, isn't it? And oftentimes, if I'm honest, I don't really want patience. It's just a lot easier to lash out, to respond in anger, to respond in frustration, to just, ah! But the Lord calls us to patience. And he equips us for patience with his spirit who produces patience in us. You know, the old King James Version didn't say patience, it said long-suffering. And I picked up the idea there. Of, you know, it's easy to be patient while things are good, right? You know, I'm really good at being patient when I'm sitting poolside, you know, on a summer day with a nice cold iced tea but you know, my book. And, you know, it's easy to be patient in that setting, right? Where it's hard to be patient is when things are hard and difficult it seems like you need relief or, or, or it seems like things will never come to an end. It's hard to be patient when you're Andrew Brunson and in prison for two years, right? That's, that's hard. You need the Lord's blessing, his spirit to be patient. One of the few ways that we can be patient is by realizing that God has been patient with us. He's done so showing us kindness. The next trait mentioned here, the kindness. Romans 2 speaks of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. 
The idea of kindness here carries the notion of being a, a good and helpful servant with a generosity of spirit. What an incredible thing that this is what Christ has done for us. He who created all things, who, who made us, we are his creatures, and yet he made himself our servant. What an overwhelming truth that is. He, he submitted himself with a, a kindness and a generosity of spirit. He set aside his glory. He took up our cross and bore it for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. He, he served us and showed an amazing goodness in that. The next trait, goodness, an uprightness, a moral excellence. It often carries the idea of, of generosity to it. There's never been anyone more generous than Christ Jesus. There's never been anyone more holy than Christ Jesus. There's never been anyone more good than Christ Jesus. And as we are filled with the spirit of Christ, people should notice a similar goodness and generosity kindness in us. There should also be a faithfulness. A faithfulness. Paul spoke to the Galatians here. He was calling them back to a faithfulness to the gospel that he had taught them to a faithfulness to him as the one who had taught it to them, but more importantly, to a faithfulness to God. They had wandered from these. And God is calling them back to it in Paul. And he is saying, if the Spirit is alive, working in and through you, then you will be faithful. It is a great blessing to me that far more than spectacularness, God calls us to faithfulness, right? It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is superstar Christianity. No, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. That is what he wants of us, faithfulness. Faithfulness, day by day, step by step, faithfulness. Trusting in him and being faithful to him. Day by day, The last two go together. Gentleness and self-control. Gentleness or, or meekness, as one commentator put it. You know, meekness is the very opposite of vehemence, violence, and outbursts of anger. It's not weakness, but rather strength restrained. The question for us, I think, is do we feel the need to exercise our strength? Do we feel the need to exercise our strength every time we have the ability to exercise our strength? Or are there times that you refrain? You say, no, I, I could win here. I could, I could win. I could be the champion. I could do this. I could beat you. I could, I could accomplish this, but for the sake of another, I will step back and not exercise that strength. Do we do that enough? I would argue we don't. The power of the Spirit should be alive in us so that we do and we need to have self-control right it's it's not always work 
acting on all of our passions. I think it applies to this meekness idea, but even more so, I think, in this specific example, it applies to the, the abstaining from sexual sins. So, you know, Paul has talked about the, the idea of the, the deeds of the flesh and how often those are involved there, and so he's answering that here with this idea of self-control. And against such things, there is no law. We need to remember, this is not a list of all the things that you need to do. It's not do these nine things and then you are a good Christian. But rather, it is a, a portrait of Christ-likeness, right, that will increasingly be evident in our lives as we follow him and as the Spirit works through us. As Philip Ryken said, living out the law does not result in a right relationship with God. Rather, being in a right relationship with God through faith in Christ results in living out the righteousness of the law. And so we have these two takeaways in closing. One, walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And yield to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Pray that God's Spirit would be alive and, and active in you so that more and more the, the old Adam in us is being put to death and the spirit of the second Adam is living through us. And secondly, remember that Jesus, of course, is the perfect personification of the spirit for it is his spirit that produces this fruit. Love. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. Joy. Jesus, the author and perfecter of his faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Peace, he is the prince of peace who says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. I give to you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Patience, think how patient he was with his disciples. Think how patient he is with you and me. Kindness, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And what kindness is in that? Goodness is truly God and hence truly good. Faithfulness, he is faithful and true. Gentleness, I am meek and lowly in heart. He says self-control. He never lost control but was tempted in every way though without sin. And because he fulfilled all holiness, he was able to be the spotless lamb of God who takes away our sin. And because he was willing to set aside his good for ours, taking away our sin by burying it at the cross, our sins are nailed to the cross and I count them no more. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And so if you trust in him today, then this is true for you as well. And if it's true for you, then he invites you to his table where we share in this meal, this meal that he has established. And we proclaim the Lord's death, a death that has purchased our pardon, a death that has conquered sin, a death that has made us right before God. It is this that we celebrate today 
Before we come, though, let us affirm our faith in him. Joining with the saints who throughout the ages have proclaimed these words 